This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's Bermuda Championship. That's right. We're going to break down the course, break down the field, and talk about some guys that we like. Joining me to break it all down, Greg Ducharme is here. Greg, welcome, bud. What's going on, Rick? It looks. Like, are you are you in your childhood bedroom? I'm in my wife's <laughs> office. Is, this the, is that the same thing? Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I mean, you would know more than me, but a uh, new setting for you today. I was telling Jacob, we're getting solar, uh, and they are currently on the roof, and they are on that side over there, and they are just smacking the heck out of the roof. And I was like, I can't be on this side. Like this is this is going to be terrible. So I'm trying over here. Hopefully they're not uh, they're not going to be drilling above my head any moment. Well, look, living in uh, in Nevada and having solar that seems to make a whole lot of sense. Seems to make a whole lot of sense to me as well. Sia Najad is here, and Sia, we better we better start talking about this event because uh, the field is shrinking rapidly. Yeah, I just saw that the the second armor. Uh, who was in the field is now out of the field. I guess it was like Tony Armour or something. And I guess there's a one armor quota. By, by the way, speaking of uh, plays on words, why is it Cameron Tringale here? How perfect would that be? The Bermuda oh. Tringale? Oh, Come on, man. Uh. You got to step it up and play this tournament, buddy. Shut it down, Jacob. We're done here for the day. <laughs> that was the, the, the Bermuda Tringale. Hmm? Dang. I like that a lot. If, if Okay. For like, if, that would be like my fantasy golf team name. Oh, it'd be a great team name. Yeah, that's strong, Sia. I'm very proud of you. This is Thank great. You. My work is done here. So talking Bye. about the field, before we jump into the course, talking about the field, this is a field that was set for 132 uh, with potential travel restrictions, a one-off event, kind of difficult to get to. I know there were plane troubles for even our defending champion. He's getting there, but like a lot's going on. Uh, we had so many WDs from this event, Greg, that we are, as of this moment, as I speak right now, I think we're down to 130, and those spots are not going to be filled. Uh, they've gone through the alternate list. So when you talk about top 65 and ties getting through, <laughs> a, the, a larger percentage of the field is getting through every minute we wait here. Yes, and it, look, this is the the difficulty with international travel. You're dealing with foreign governments and different, um, different protocols and regulations, and uh, the PGA Tour has to deal with that. And then the PGA Tour has to communicate that to the to their their players so there's a a lot of complexity in it and in our new the new world that we're living in for the past two years and counting it has been um it creates a big challenge so a successful event in japan is uh, a good i guess we've had two successful events in japan although one was not with the pga tour that has been a, a positive sign but it is uh, um, a much more complex issue when you're dealing with an event outside the United States, our defending champion Brian Gay could not had to get on a different flight because of a quote heavy plane. 
which may be too much cargo, maybe too many sets of golf clubs on that plane. He'd have to catch the next flight. Let's take a look at the golf course, and I'm going to share my screen here. This is from my website, rickrungood.com, and this is a Port Royal Golf Club here, see? And I think the most unique defining feature of this golf course is the length or lack there of 6,800 yards, which I love this fact, the longest course on the island of Bermuda. I love that. It's the longest course, but it is like the second shortest course on the PGA tour schedule. <laughs> yeah. The, the longest course. Does that make it the only course as well? That's confusing. Okay. I um, looked this up. Hold on. I looked this up last year. I think there's like 13 courses on the Island of Bermuda. Okay. There's some really good ones too. This yeah. is just being one of them. There's some really good golf in Bermuda. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, so it's it's certainly not going to be uh, as much of a test for the shorter hitters in terms of getting, you know, the the driving distance out there, which brings guys like Brian Gay and Ryan Armour and, and Brian Stewart, guys that we'll probably talk about later in the show. They're all in play. If you're a good ball striker, particularly off the tee, and you're just hitting fairways, uh, you're going to be in pretty good shape here. So I'm certainly looking at accuracy off the tee and, of course, approach like you'd expect. Uh, Bermuda putting is certainly going to help. I, I think it's interesting that on a short course like this, there are several, maybe three uh, par threes that are pretty long, you know, well over 200 yards. So that's maybe something to take a peek at. But the par fours are relatively short. I think we got three par fives that aren't super challenging from a distance standpoint. So, yeah, I, I you know, we only have 120. So we'll see what it all you know flushes out to ultimately. But they're all in play other than the, the guys that are, you know, in the 6K range, perhaps that are just like clearly not going to be a factor here, which for the record makes the six of six percentage. It, it's going to be pretty high this week. And so this is not one of those weeks where, oh, it's five out of six. You'll probably be OK. Like you're probably going to need six out of six here. Yeah, there are certainly some guys in the 6K range that will not be contending this week. I think I can say that with some confidence. And Greg, I think, you know, I don't always, this is the third year that we've, that we're going to be playing this event at this course. And I don't always like to look at just the winners when you start looking at, hey, what kind of style of golf, what kind of key stats are you looking for? But on a 6,800 yard course or a hair longer, I could not have handpicked two better winners to illustrate that point than uh, Brian Gay and Brendan Todd. Could I? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, quite similar in their style, quite similar in their strengths. The other thing is, you know, looking at the numbers this week, which is different than last week, the, the numbers seem to just looking with the eye test, they seem to match the results and the leaderboards that we've had in the two previous renditions. Yeah. Driving accuracy is important and not just with the winners, but the the leaderboards are loaded with guys who are accurate drivers of the ball, shorter hitters. And I think there's a reason for that. Uh, you, when you deal with this kind of golf course, the biggest defense is the wind. And because it's on the, on the coastline, I think it takes up the entire East side of the Island. Um, if, because uh, it's a tiny Island. And that's not true. I'm joking, of course. But um, the so what we see out here is those long par threes are a way to add length to the golf course when you're designing it, because it's still it's only a 220 yard hole or, or it, it, you know, there that's a, a short golf hole, relatively speaking. So you can add in a little bit of distance there. All three par fives are very reachable for every player in the field. That adds more advantage to guys who are accurate off the tee. The one thing that slows down a, a player from reaching par fives and two is the lie that you get. And if you have 
220 yards from a bad lie in the rough or from a bunker, it can be difficult to reach. Whereas from the fairway, you're still making a club selection. It's, it's less than all you got. And that's true on par fours as well. Um, when you, when you deal with short par fours that aren't drivable per se, you're dealing with wedge shots that you expect to get close to the hole. And it's much easier from the fairway than it is from the rough. That's quite obvious, but that that's just one that your proximity will just in, increase a little bit when you are in the fairway. And so it, it keeps everybody in play. A shorter course keeps everybody in play and it, it, it's not as big of a separator to have some longer hitters and positioning becomes uh, um, more of a separator than distance does this week, which I think is fun to watch. It's definitely a different style of event and it keeps, you know, even some of these guys that we say will not be in contention, it's far less surprising at an event like this if if they end up there. Um, I feel, I feel like, like Rick we, might have frozen. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Well, while he gets back in there, Sia, just to get some more of your thoughts on the golf course, I, I always think two things even out of field more than a short golf course really evens out of field and wind really evens out of field. And that's something we see very, very often. Um, we see that so often when it comes to, you know, an open championship or, or some of these other events and this one, it has both those elements. Yeah. I, the wind, it, it's always really frustrating to me when, whether it's in Texas or Florida or wherever it is, Bermuda in this case, any sort of um, coastline, because you might like a golfer on Monday or Tuesday. Like I might really love, and we'll talk about it in the elite range. Like I like Christian Bezayden, who I like Seamus Power quite a bit. Obviously, a lot of people are going to like Mito. But if if the winds are whipping and you get the wrong, you know, maybe they're whipping the whole day. Who knows? But like if they're whipping and you get the wrong side of that split, you know, you're kind of in big trouble. I mean, it could be, you know, worth a, a stroke or two on any given day. So it, it's always frustrating because, you know, me, like I've, I literally already have lineups put in just because it's fun, not because I think they're like, you know, winners or anything. But the, the point is, it, it's going to take until Wednesday night to really kind of determine who you really like, because on these windy courses, I mean, it's nice to know who plays well in wind if you want to try to factor that in. But at the end of the day, you really got to check the weather before tea times. Right. And sometimes when you're out there on the coast and you see a wind projection that's 15 miles an hour out of the north northeast and it's 15 to 20 well, that extra five miles an hour can make a huge difference, and it can get, it can start to gust up even higher than that when when you're right there on the coast. So, we all know when you're looking at a beach town, uh, a coastal town, and you're looking at that weather, the weather's usually mapped a little bit inland. We usually get a little bit stronger winds the closer out to the coast. We get Greg. Can I ask you a question on that front? Um, yeah. As far as the wind is concerned. Because obviously of the three of us, you are like the golfer in the crew in terms of experience, co collegiate golf, things of that nature. Um, and maybe beyond, honestly, forgive me if I'm leaving something out there. But at what point does the wind have like at what point is the wind a problem for you? You know, do, is it 20 miles per hour? Can you actually delineate like an actual miles per hour? Where it's like this is tough. Or is it really more like wind direction with miles per hour, that type of thing? Yeah, they they all come in common. So a couple challenges in wind. The The most difficult thing about wind is when it's when it's significant enough. Let, let's say it could be as little as eight to 10 miles an hour, but it's gusty. 
and it's hard to predict. So we get that up here this time of year in the Northeast a lot, where uh, even on, especially on these tree line courses where the wind isn't consistent. And so you may get a shot that plays 165 in one moment and 185 in the very next moment because of the gust and the unpredictability of it. So that's a challenge. You don't typically get that on a coastal course. The other challenge is crosswinds. They become very difficult. Where, where are you going to play that? What line are you going to take? You have to be much more precise with the line. And the reason for that, if you are intending on hitting a, a straighter shot or, or riding the wind, and let's say it's a, a hook wind for a right-handed player, or a right-to-left wind, and you're expecting to play a draw and ride the wind, that's going to have a different, it's going to play a different distance than fighting the wind. So if, if you're just going to play a little tiny two, three yard draw and you hit a two or three yard fade, not only is your line skewed, but the distance can be skewed too. So when crosswinds have a big effect on, uh, on the distance that the shot plays, especially if you miss your line, it kind of combines those two things a little bit more than less windy conditions. Mm. When you hit the ball uh, as weakly as we do see it, you don't have to worry about the wind too much. It's just we don't know where it's going. Anyway, let's jump headfirst into this $10,000 range because let's just let's just get it out of the way. We're going to have to pay some prices on guys we've never paid before. That's that's what we're going to have to do here. Matt Fitzpatrick coming off a win on the European Tour, $11,000. Christian Bezadenhout, ten seven. Mito Pereira, ten five. Patrick Reed, 10400 And Seamus Power, 10200 Sienna Jad, when you look at this $10,000 range and you get over the sticker shock of some of these names, how do you go about assessing it and how do you go about building your lineups? Yeah, I, I first of all, I, I like three guys here. I think I like two more than the third, but I'll tell you the lineups that I built. I had two ten guys, two ten k guys in them, and then I went right down, right down to the seven k range. I love the the bottom of the seven k range. Maybe I'm a sucker because I I, I skipped some ranges. In, in I kind of like level. that too. See ya. Right. So, I mean, you know, what, what I did with my first lineup, at least in terms of the the high end guys, is I had Christian Bezedenhout and uh, Seamus Power. And now, granted, I'm, I'm skipping Mito there. We can talk about Mito, of course, but I, it just seems like the, from a I'll, I'll just call him Seabest for short. It just seems like such a good course fit for him. Uh, we know he can get hot on approach. He's he's going to be he's going to rate out in your model, you know, top 10 in putting around the green. He's good on the long par threes. Uh, it's just one of those things where. I think he's a good. I I think he has a lot of win equity here. Whereas, I, I honestly I like him more. Like just even from a talent standpoint on this course, more than a Matt Fitzpatrick, more than a Patrick Reed. So it's going to be him and Seamus Power. I mean, as far as Power is concerned, like what doesn't he do well? He's just been red hot on, on approach. Um, yeah. the, the short game is there. It's just one of those things where Power is going to win on the tour. Uh, maybe not this week, but he's going to get a lot of wins on the tour, in my opinion. And uh, it could absolutely start in a field like this. Yeah. So for power, uh, there's a lot of really good things to look at here. Like last 50 rounds, he is literally one of the best players on the PGA tour. He's like 12th in terms of, of strokes gain total. That's, that's not just this field. That's of everyone. That's John Rahm. It's Patrick Cantlay. It's all those guys. Last 50 rounds, Seamus Power has been that good. And for uh, Christian, for Bezadenhout, if you start looking at 
um, you know, his last couple of results here, not all of them have strokes gain metrics. So he had a top five uh, at, a, at a European tour event. He had a top five at a Corn Ferry tour event. Those are his last two starts worldwide. His last handful of measured starts, he's gained at least three strokes on approach in uh, the three last measured starts that he has gone with. So you can understand why Sia Najad is uh, looking towards those two to bolster his team. So Greg, when you start peeling away the layers at the top of this board, what do you end up with? I think Mito Pereira is the obvious safe play here. He makes a ton of sense. I think Seamus Power makes sense as well. Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, I expect to get overlooked a little bit. Uh, he doesn't seem like a top-end guy. So I, I do believe a lot of people will have a hard time paying $11,000 for him. But his game fits the game of our last two winners quite well. It, it doesn't hurt at all that he's coming off of a win in on the European tour last week. But this is a guy last year on tour, he hit over 68% of his fairways. He's a really solid ball striker. For much of the year last year, he was improved with the iron play as well. Um, I like what he does on the greens. And if you if you trust the data on the golf course, we've only had two renditions, so we understand that. But if you trust the data, the two key areas – are driving accuracy and putting and yeah. Matt Fitzpatrick is, I mean, this is a guy he's 127th in driving distance on tour last year, but he's 15th in strokes gained off the tee. That is difficult to do. It's a real big challenge. And he, so he's an excellent driver of the ball positionally. And that's exactly what's required on this golf course. He plays well on, uh, and windy conditions. Generally it, it is tougher conditions where scoring is a little bit closer to par, but I, I think what this golf course offers in its lack of length can really provide a benefit to Matt Fitzpatrick. And if, if you look at his uh, approaching the green as a weakness, which it, it definitely has been, and it's definitely slipped towards the end of the year, I, I believe he can make up for that with putting. When, you're, when your distance ranges get much shorter, Strokes gain approach can get mitigated to some degree. It's like the Bryson DeChambeau model where I'm going to get rid of strokes gain approach because I'm going to have shorter clubs in than everybody else. So even if for me, I'm, I may be losing strokes because I hit a wedge from 115 to 20 feet and somebody else is hitting a six iron to 20. Well, now it still becomes a putting contest. And I think Fitzpatrick can make it a putting contest and um, and and 38th in strokes game putting last year is another strength of his. So I, I do think Fitzpatrick is a little bit will, will be underrated, even though he's the top guy, the top price guy in the field. So I like him. I let's, like me. Let's let's jump in there on on Fitzpatrick, because see, I do think that's an interesting note uh, when a golfer who is never the most expensive golfer is the most expensive golfer. I think Greg's right. I don't think people are going to pay it. I totally agree, actually. Um, I, I think it's – I don't know that it's going to be a, quote, contrarian play, but I agree that guys like Mito, Sheamus, and Christian Bezadenhut are probably going to be, like, the really popular ones here. But I don't think there's going to be a huge drop-off to Matt Fitzpatrick. And I, I think that's going to be, like, as – the the week goes i think people are going to start to roster him a little bit more kind of realizing he is one of the you know 
guys that are to the class of this field. So it'll be, I mean, it'll be interesting because I, I'll want to know where the uh, ownership shakes out ultimately. But I agree with you. He's not going to be as popular as Mito, that's for sure. Yeah, Mito's going to win the golf tournament. That's why. Because oh, Mito is just the best ball striker we got. Uh, he is a proven winner four times in his last 42 starts. I know they're all Corn Ferry Tour events, but uh, hey, have you seen the field? Kind of looks like yeah. a Corn Corn Ferry Tour event. And when those wins gets gut, when those wins get gusted, I know who I want. I want ball strikers, baby. I want Mito Pereira. We'll figure out the putter later. But that leaves us with one name, gentlemen, that um, <laughs> we just overlooked. Maybe the nine-time PGA Tour winner, the guy that if you overlook, you might get some tweets from a burner. I don't know. I'm I'm nervous. I think we have to dive into this. Patrick Reed is 10,400. Uh, he's clearly the class long-term of this, of this tier, Greg, but he's been so bad recently. Can we really allocate a significant portion of our salary towards Patrick Reed? Man, it's, it's a tough call. Um, I, and I love, there's a, I'll make a case for Patrick Reed. Okay. And then Sia can make the case against it. Oh, I love this game. (laughs) Okay. Fun game. So again, going back into a couple of the things that Patrick Reed does well, he tends to be. On the more accurate side, although the the reason for that, I believe, has more to do with his distance than it does his... Matt Fitzpatrick stripes, right? He's a really straight hitter. He's not curving the ball a lot. Patrick Reed hits a lot of fairways because he only averages 291 off the tee. And he hits kind of a tumbling, uh, kind of a tumbling draw. So last year, he hit 63% of his fairways. It was 68th on tour. Um, and, and he ends up losing strokes for the year off the tee. He's 114th. He, he's basically right around even, but it, it's 114th in strokes gain off the tee. So that's the, I, I do feel like it can be a benefit. I do feel like he can hit fairways. I, I do feel like his ball flight is conducive to some windy conditions. Uh, and then the other reason I really like Patrick Reed is his wedge play, which is elite. I don't think anybody would doubt that. And his putting, which is also elite. So you take away some distance. Again, this is a guy who plays, he plays a lot of events, but he's often a part of the conversation in some tougher fields, some events like the farmer's insurance open where short game becomes really important and, and you have to scramble and you have to get up and down. Those are Patrick Reed type golf courses, but this one in a way looking at his wedge game and his putting ability, it, it seems like from a fingerprint standpoint, he should do well here. The play has been really bad lately. So I, I understand that. But this is a guy, if you're going to take a, if you, if you want to save a little bit at the lower end and you're going into, which you will no matter what, you're going to go into guys you haven't seen play on TV. You're going to go into into some names here where you're taking a chance. And it's probably going to be half your team. You're going to be taking a chance on probably half your team. So if you're not comfortable going too low in that risk, you're, you get a good savings on him. And so at 10,400 for the best long-term player in the field, the guy with the most equity in this field uh, and, and more equity than most guys in any field on the PGA tour, I could take a chance. I could take a flyer that this is a, as they say in fantasy football, a get right week for Patrick Reed. I'm not sure I'm sold. See on the case for Patrick Reed. Would you like to make the case against Patrick Reed? Uh, may it please the court. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't envy the position you put Greg Ducharme in. <laughs> uh, I will say this as my singular piece of evidence against rostering Patrick Reed over the last 
six PGA Tour events that he's played, which mm -hmm. dates back to August. He is averaging approximately negative six strokes ball striking mm -hmm. over those five PGA events. That's really bad. So again, and he doesn't have experience here either. So in other words, like if I could lean on, oh, well, a year ago, he was really good here. Maybe he can recapture some of that magic. The only argument you could possibly make is just the idea that why is he playing this tournament? Like, you know, maybe he's, you know, maybe he's just got like that winning attitude that Patrick Reed always has. And maybe that's why he's here to kind of get back on track. His game is right. He hasn't withdrawn like 10 other people have. Uh, but that's just too narrative even for like a Patrick Reed argument. So um, the prosecution rests. You don't think there's any chance he's been on the range grinding on that swing and, and found a little magic? I mean, you don't, you're not trusting in the the coaching of David Ledbetter or, or or anything like that. You don't think he can bottle something in a week and flash and win in this field? There's a chance. I mean, there's a chance for anything. It's just a, it's just a matter of what that percentage chance is, I guess. Yeah, I mean, listen, if his ownership Brian, is like 3%, then yeah, I mean, I think the argument's better. Yeah, Brian Gay won this event last year, like 300 to 1 or something like that. So there's definitely, there's definitely a chance. Um, I'll break the tie here. Patrick Reed is unrosterable, which means he probably wins this golf tournament. Wow. Probably. Yeah. $9,000 range. So this is where we start uh, immediately to get into some guys who played on the Corn Ferry Tour last year, got their card, maybe some uh, tour veterans. There's a lot to parse out here. Hayden Buckley, 9,900. Uh, Matthias Schwab, not Matthias Schmid, 9,700. Chad Ramey, 9,500. Adam Hadwin at 94. Danny Willett at 93. Taylor Pendrith at 91. And Patrick Reed at 9,000. Greg, your first crack at the $9,000 range. What do you see? I mean, you got to know where I'm going here, right? Adam it, Hadwin. Yeah. It, <laughs> Adam Hadwin makes sense to me. One, I'm very comfortable with the name. Um, I'm still clinging to this desperate belief that he's going to win one day. And if he wins any time between now and the next 10 years, I'm going to say, I, I told you so. Yeah. Um, so I said it last year. I said Adam Hadwin was on the road to recovery and on the path of something really good. And it just didn't pan out. We, I, I didn't see... I mean, hardly anything that was a, a light at the end of the tunnel. But again, I, what I go to here in a field where it's it's hard to identify players on their their fingerprint when we get kind of below this range, it's really challenging. I think there is a fingerprint here for Adam Hadwin, which lies in his short game and putting. And that's really what what he held on to last year. The ball striking was not very good. Uh, but he did. He was 19th on the PGA Tour last year in strokes game putting. He was 45th around the green, which were by far his two strongest assets. He can also be an accurate driver of the ball. He was 71st last year. Um, and the thing he really needs to do is hit some more greens of regulation. And my hope is on this kind of golf course, he's going to get some shorter clubs in his hands, have some wedge opportunities and gain a little bit of confidence in that approach game. And, and that's the area... Like you see there in, in the middle of the summer, he just he was just bleeding strokes approaching the green right in that range. He's been better since. Yeah, yeah. There's been some flashes. We've seen a little bit of uh we, we've seen a little bit of hope. Now, is this based on the the T six at the Shriners? Well, that's gotta give him some confidence. He gained in everything except strokes gained off the tee, which is a, a positive sign. It's a really good finish. Maybe he's got something going here, but I, I'm looking at this more from a 
a finger uh, fingerprint perspective with Adam Hadwin saying, hey, we might be onto something here. And I think the course fits really nicely. In a surprise to absolutely no one, Greg is backing Adam Hadwin, although I will say uh, at least we've seen flashes. When 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 we went when we started this six months ago with the Adam Hadwin thing, it was like, oh boy, this is scary. Yeah. But we're we're getting Yeah, going. it was from basically a couple Instagram videos um of, of seeing his golf swing. So yeah. Well, uh, all right. $9,000 range here. See, this is generally a range you thrive in, but you've already told us you've kind of avoided it. So how are you assessing this area? Yeah, so far I have. Uh, there's a couple guys I like. Adam Hadwin is definitely one of them. Uh, a couple newcomers, Hayden Buckley and Chad Ramey, I think are yeah. super interesting to me. I mean, you could just look at Hayden Buckley's, you know, finishes over his last two starts, eighth and fourth. These are PGA Tour events that he's finished there. And, and the ball striking has just been really, really good. I mean, <laughs> Let's see, ball striking over his last three tournaments, six, four, and three. Now, he was losing a lot of strokes putting, but it looks like, and it's a short sample size, mind you, yeah. but it looks like he's really gaining with the putter lately. So this is interesting uh, because your assessment is is kind of uh, similar to mine. Like, we're going to learn what Hayden Buckley is. You know, I only have 20 measured rounds on him on the PGA Tour in my database. We're going to learn what he is because for the first four starts of his career, he was a horrific putter. The last two, he's been... Great. The ball striking this season, excellent. If he continues like this, I think you're going to see him in a lot of these alternate or smaller field events. He's going to be 8,500 to 9,500 if he continues on this path, but we're going to learn. So if you want to kind of be early, Hayden Buckley is an interesting guy to be early on. See, sorry, I thought you were, were you going somewhere else as well? No, it's really just him and Chad Ramey. I think Chad Ramey's profile is is a, a little bit the same of Hayden Buckley's in, in terms of the ball striking, not necessarily the finishing positions. I actually played Chad Ramey at the Fortinet and he burned me. That was his one missed cut. But the trajectory since then, he made the cut right after that at Sanderson and then he was T14 at the Shriners. His approach game has really been getting better and better over those, you know, again, small sample size over those three uh, events. The, the problem with him is the short game is pretty erratic. But again, I don't have a, a huge sample size there. So if his ownership is relatively low, it's a, I think it's a guy to take a chance on. That's what, okay. So Greg, this is, this is to me, I, I think there's a lot of guys in the nine K, whether it's Ramey, Buckley, Rogers, I'm, I'm generally fine with, but I think that there, the, the story out of this range, you can kind of see it right here. There are some guys that we have 20 measured rounds on. Buckley has 20 measured rounds. Ramey has 16. Pendrith has 42. Uh, Danny Willett is 294. Patrick Rogers is 595. Adam Adwin is 642. So how do we reconcile the known entity that we've seen for six to 10 years versus the three or four week sample size guy? Well, look, the three or four size, uh, three or four week sample size guy worked the last two weeks. So there's definitely something to that, right? If you played Hayden Buckley the last two weeks, you were quite happy. So it can work. And at some point it does work. Adam Hadwin had his first start at some point on the PGA tour. There was a point where he had 20 rounds in the system. So these guys, they come from somewhere and experience isn't everything. It's often overrated. But the concern for me with Hayden Buckley this week um, is the change in scenery. And we go from the Sanderson farms and the Shriners to a very different style golf course that presents very different challenges. And I think you said it really well, Rick, we're going to see what he is. We're going to see how well this game travels because you go into this environment and it, it will put that ball striking to the test to some degree. The recovery shots will be different. Uh, the, the conditions of the wind will be different. 
And the clubs you have in your hand will be different as well. So we're going to learn a lot about those guys. I I feel like it's a little, like it's chasing a little bit with Hayden Buckley. Uh, It's just a, and I usually like, I'm a, I'm a big recent form guy. I just feel like there's not quite enough there. And we haven't seen this over, uh, over a period of time where Danny Willett, for instance, I draw back on what he did in the, I believe it was the second rendition of the Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship, which we, we were obligated <laughs> to get in there. Um, but he, right. He, he came in eighth there. He was in contention on Sunday, had a chance to win. You see what he's done on the European tour. Another guy like Matt Fitzpatrick, who's won this year. I, I have a feeling he's coming off of some confidence and he has a way of playing pretty well in fields like this. So um, in this range for me, Danny Willett, and Adam Hadwin stand out, but there's one other guy who we don't know to give you in, to get you into the, we don't know guys. Um, and he seems to rate out really well. I'm interested to see what you guys think. Um, and it's Taylor Pendrith. Um, he, he seemed to, he's at 9,100 and he seemed to really show up in a couple of the models I was looking at on rickrungood.com. So um, what do, what do you guys think about him? Cause I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of impressed, especially he seems to be a good driver of the ball, maybe a little inaccurate, but he will be one of the longer players here. And maybe he's that mix of maybe he's the long hitter that stands out in a leaderboard of of short hitters. Yeah, see, I think he's the name that always kind of pops up. When you see Taylor Pendrith, you're like, oh, like I know that name. He's good at golf. You know, he he's he's a Canadian, so he had a couple wins in Canada, uh, some decent success on on the Corn Ferry Tour. But I look at his like everything on his profile page, which is kind of what we're looking at right now. Off the tee, great. Around the green, awesome. Putter, sweet. He has what is this? Eight measured tournaments on the PGA Tour. And he has lost strokes on approach in seven of them. Uh, and yeah. the one that he gained was 0.05 in the positive. So it's like, I I wish I didn't see that column. I wish I could ignore that column because if you just look at the totals, if you just look at uh, even finishing positions, I think you're impressed. But like, see, what, what level of concern is it that arguably the most important category is the one that he's the worst at? It's a pretty high level of concern, and it's it's why I probably, of the three newcomers, I call them newcomers, in that 9K range, I think I like Chad Ramey the best because I think people are going to look at Hayden Buckley's track record over the last two tournaments, and they're just going to look at his general stats. I, I think Buckley's going to rate out the best, and Pendrith probably the worst, even though he he is a big name. Um, I think Ramey is the guy that's right in that sort of sweet spot, and, and I think of the three that's the one I'm going to be targeting. For the record, on the Corn Ferry Tour, he does have a win. And for the record, Hayden Buckley has, uh, I think, a couple second places and, and maybe a fourth place in there. This is just a, over the last year on the Corn Ferry Tour. So um, these guys certainly have certainly had win equity on the Corn Ferry Tour, which I think in this field translates as well. Now, one one thing on the strokes gain approach, and and I um I set this I, I said this a little bit earlier, Rick, and I think you may have been um, locked up there for a minute. But it's almost at his distance, which stands out. And again, it's not in my model. It's a little bit away from what I think is really effective at this tournament. But his model could eliminate some of the concerns with strokes mm-hmm. gain approach. That's okay. He's averaging this year, and, and this will go down throughout the year, but he's averaging 327 and a half off the tee distance wise. Yeah. You get on a 6,800 yard golf course with that kind of distance. And if you can control it, you know, keep it on the planet. You can, this can be the Bryson model. 
This could be the Bryson model on this golf course. And so while I'm not searching for bomber, I'm not searching for guys who can do that. I think that number this week could be the least important number for a guy of his distance. And you combine the the uh, around the green performance, which has been very good. Maybe he is able to hit some tee shots inside that 40-yard range, and his second shot is an around the green tally. Yep. The putting is extremely important. We know how important that is. So he's the guy, to me, that I, I like the most of those three. Different than you, see. So, I mean, we'll see how that pans out. And I know that doesn't help you set any of your lineups. But I I, I see... In my crystal ball, um, him standing out on the leaderboard as one of these is not like the other. And there are a lot of guys who are really accurate, short hitters, hit a ton of fairways, and uh, and and um, and T- Taylor Pendrith, who I never thought we would hear today, is a, a big name. Uh, I did not expect to hear that today, but thanks again, Sia. And so, <laughs> look, I, I think you could stand out on this board. Yeah, that's that's certainly the path to victory, I believe, or at least for to success for for Pentrith is to kind of chop this thing up and see see what happens, get closer to green and take your chances from there. Right. We're going to look into our crystal ball in the 8K range, the 7K range and the 6K range. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this, too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. $8,000 range. Little baby $8,000 range. Thomas Dietrich, 8,900. Sahith Tagala, 8,800. Guido Migliozzi, 8,700. There's like the three hardest names in golf to say right at the top. Scott Stallings, Denny McCarthy, Stephen Yeager, Garrick Higo, Joseph Bramlett, Ryan Armour. We rounded out with a Las Vegas resident, David Lipsky, at a flat $8,000. Sia Najad, oh mama. Find me something in the $8,000 that we can work with. Yeah, it's a tough find. In this range, I'm definitely looking because just because I, I didn't really like what, what I saw in terms of wanting to roster some of these guys. So I really leaned on course history. And if you do that, you're going to land on Denny McCarthy for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with Denny McCarthy is if you look at his stats just over the last, I don't know, 36, 50 rounds, it, it's pretty bad. I mean, that the approach game has been bad. The, the putter really hasn't been up to Denny McCarthy standards. But again, if you want to lean on course history, there have been two tournaments here, and he's placed fourth and 15th. So these guys who, who their game just seems totally off, well, they probably got a respite during the FedEx Cup playoffs. They had an immediate respite after that as well. And who knows, he comes back to a venue that he really enjoys, and all of a sudden, boom, he's back to the Denny McCarthy that might do well on this course. The other two guys I'll just mention, Ryan Armour, I mean, obviously a really great course fit. He also has great course history here with back-to-back eighth-place finishes. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's going to be accurate. Obviously, he's going to keep it in the fairway. Approach game, 
you know, should be pretty solid. And the other guy I'll just mention is David Lipsky. Rick, I know you bring him up a lot, or at least you did like over the last like three, four weeks or so. Yeah. He's a name that kind of just doesn't, he, he's just constantly getting overlooked. But when he comes and plays on PGA Tour events, he's usually pretty good. And I think it's it's the exact type of name that could get completely lost in this tournament. People are going to want to roster Ryan Armour, maybe Mark Hubbard as we kind of go down into the 7K range. Um, maybe even Russell Knox in that upper 7K range. I think David Lipsky definitely gets lost in the shuffle there. Yeah, Lipsky's one of these guys that got uh, got his tour card from the Corn Ferry last year, but he is way more seasoned on the PGA Tour than most of his peers. He's played in a bunch of WGC events. He's played in major championships. So I, I have been looking at him for, you know, the first 12 weeks or so, or maybe less than that, of a lot of these guys coming up on the PGA tour, they've got to find out where the locker room is and what they just got to get used to everything. And Lipsky's kind of already 20 events ahead of them in terms of getting comfortable. So that's why he's always someone that, that I keep a close eye on. There is something interesting going on here with the course history, because there's only four golfers in the $8,000 range that have played this event at all. All of them have played it both years and they've never missed a cut combined. Ryan armor, eighth and eighth. Joseph Bramlett, 31st and 45th. Uh, Denny McCarthy, 15th and 4th. And Scott Stallings, 18th and 26th. So if you like course history, Greg, this is a range for you. Yes. Um, and you just mentioned the three guys I, that I kind of like, and, and that's the reason for it. Now, um, the my top two in this range would be Denny McCarthy and Ryan Armour. With Denny McCarthy, with his course history and his ability on the greens, that's the thing I'm hanging my hat on the thing I'm leaning on if I'm putting Danny McCarthy in a lineup and again I'm with C I don't I don't love this I love the course history but uh, whatever Danny McCarthy was finding last year Rick with the iron play I seems to have not really uh, I know it's just a bummer it's a total bummer but again I, I look at the approach game as there's an opportunity for someone who's not a great iron player to have a really nice week approaching the greens this week because the golf course is very different. The shots you have to play are different, not only because they're shorter, but because of the wind. So I, I have a a mild, I'm lukewarm on, on Denny McCarthy. I'm lukewarm on Ryan Armour. Again, there's not a lot to hang your hat on except course history, but these are the opportunities for these players. And I, I do believe that if you're a, um, if you're a Denny McCarthy, a Ryan Armour, or a, a Russell Knox, for instance, who we'll uh, talk about a little later on, these are your opportunities to really make a, a, an impact, really step up and show that, hey, I'm going to, th- this is a card keeping type week for these guys. And they feel like they have a real chance to win more so than most weeks on the PGA Tour. So I, I look at these guys as being inspired a little bit more. Again, it's not a lot to lean on. But from this point down, there's not a lot to lean on anywhere. So we got to find something. And I'm I'm very comfortable leaning on that for Ryan Armour and Danny McCarthy. Joseph Bramlett would be the other guy who's a, the um kind of the the black sheep, if you will, where he's a long hitter and not an accurate hitter. Yeah. And and it's another opportunity. Uh, although conversely from Taylor Pendrith, he's not the putter that Pendrith is. So he's gonna be his success. And I think that's reflected in the pricing. His success is going to hinge a lot more on the putting. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was the the guy on the top of the leaderboard who stood out in terms of style. 
but I feel more comfortable about Taylor Pendrith being that guy this week. Seems like we're all uh, circling the same names here, but see, uh, I want to bring you in before we jump down to the sevens that I know you're heavily invested in. I want to bring you in on Garrick Higo, who quite frankly, after the victory has been not good. So I've loaded this up here on, on my site where I'm going from after his victory. So after uh, Garrick Higo's victory at the Palmetto Championship, he is losing a stroke per round. Uh, there has been nobody worse in this field with as many rounds as he has. Uh, obviously, concern like what? What? What would we need to see from Higo to eventually start investing again? Uh, it, it makes you want to ask, where did Higo? Right. Oh, I'm two for two today, guys. I'm out. See you later. Uh, this I, you has know, been listen. the first cut, and we'll catch you yes. next time. Yes, it's been a it's been a fun wow. ride. Um, so good. I, I don't know what we need to see out of him. I mean, it's so crazy to think that that I'm going to say like I just have to pass on Garrett Kigo in this field, but it's just it's just not a good look. There, there's so many other guys you can go to. I mean, and and honestly, he's just a popular enough name where maybe he'll get some roster ship in spite of how bad he's been. So it just it just seems like a, a lose lose scenario in terms of rostering him. Uh, I think the guys we talked about, like if if you want to play, if you don't want to play Ryan Armour because you think he's going to be too popular, I mean, I, I might just go to to Jaeger uh, or, or somebody like you know Bramlett's probably going to be a little popular, maybe like a Stallings or a Guido Migliozzi. I, I just don't see the reason to go to Higo here because you can find sort of lowerish owned guys, lowerish rostered guys in other places in this very range. Greg, it starts to make you wonder, you know, what's the anomaly? Was the win the anomaly or what we're seeing right now? Is that the, cause he had success. I mean, he won like back-to-back -back events on the European tour, I think, uh, yeah. right before he came over here, but man, it's, it's kind of a tough watch right now. Yeah. Look, this is the thing that happens to guys when they win on tour sometimes. And when you win on the PGA tour, there's, uh, um, your, your self identity can change and you start to feel like, okay, I'm here now. Now I want to become the, I want to become the player that I just was in a way and you want to improve and you think you can win more. And so players will often take different steps. That's why the floodgate theory doesn't work. I mean, how, how many times have we seen guys win big events that was unexpected and impress us so much and then everything falls apart and I, i'm not sure that that's the reason it's just a story that i've seen quite a bit out on the pga tour and the other thing is if you feel like if, if i'm sitting there and i'm garrett kigo's coach i might say all right look we got we we have these deficiencies in your game much like tiger and butch after the 97 masters which is hard to imagine we have these deficiencies in your game and we want to clean those up and this is the time to do it because you have in essence you got a lot of cash in your pocket and you have a you have a, a two-year exemption and if we get started right now and get this work done there will be a little lull uh, but you have all this time to make up for it so that's another possibility and i think guys go down that road one of one of two ways they try to do it because their um, their ego, their identity changes. They look at themselves as a winner. It's a different it's a different pressure, uh, and they want to become something they're not. Or they take the they try to invest that time and improve, 
because you're inspired to improve after you just win. Um, and, and then all of a sudden it, you have a little bit of a lull. So I, I, I'm much more comfortable being a little later with Garrett Higo, seeing one or two quality starts to see like, okay, he's kind of found his game again, but not this week. Makes sense. At the top of the show, Sia, you told us your initial builds were two guys in the 10K and then straight on down to the $7,000 range, and that is where we are at right now. Massive range. I'm not going to read them all. Mark Hubbard, Nick Hardy, Nick Watney, Peter Uline at the top, going down to a flat $7,000 of Bo Hostler, Bo Hogue, Kramer Hickok, Ludwig Aberg, remember him, and Vincent Whaley, a flat 7,000. I, I don't know who Ludwig is, uh, so don't worry about that. Sia, who started to fill out your lineups in this 7K range? Well, Russell Knox is, is you know, we've already mentioned him a couple times. He's obviously a really good play. If you look at his course history, it's great, 16th and 11th. Uh, he's also been really, I mean, generally he's a, you know, a, historically he's a good ball striker, but yeah. even lately on approach, I mean, he hasn't exactly been making cuts, but where he's made his hay is is on approach lately. And you can see, again, if you're watching us on YouTube, yeah, the putter can be really bad, but it can also be pretty good too. Three out of his last five tournaments, he's gained approximately two or more strokes with the putter, which is very un-Russell Knox-like. So you pair that with, you know, the strokes gained approach numbers, which have basically all been in the positive for quite some time. Yeah. And you're looking at a guy who's a pretty good course fit with a pedigree that's way better than than most of these guys here. So I think Russell Knox, he's likely, in my opinion, likely to be a semi-popular play. But uh, I like him. I'll, I'll just mention a few other guys, Rick. Uh, Russell, uh, well, I mentioned Russell Knox. Uh, Matthew Naismith, um, yeah. you were on him last week. He certainly seems like a really good course fit. He wasn't terrible last week. Um, let's see, Jason Duffner. Duffner is an approach monster. Yeah, let's let's check this out on um, RickRunGood.com. No, I mean, not only not only approach, but the around the green game is pretty elite, and he's not losing a ton with the putter over the last four tournaments. You know, he's you losing what. about a stroke or so. <laughs> that's like uh, that's a huge win for Jason Duffner to be losing. So his huge last win. four, yeah, his last four starts are minus one zero, plus one, minus one point three. That is a massive win for Duffner. And when you take what he can do with the approach game and the around the green game, I mean, he can pop in both categories. So it's just one of those things that Duffner is just not a, a popular, it's not a trendy name. And I think that's a name that that really people should be rostering. Um, Brian Stewart, we can talk about him. Obviously, yeah. he's a great course fit. I mean, it, there's just not much to say about him. Uh, he hits fairways, obviously. He's going to be good on the short par fours. He's putting around the green game or top 10 in this field. Approach game is solid. The only other guy I want to mention, if there was ever a time to take one more chance oh, no. on my guy, hammering Hank Lebiota. I know. Thank, thank you for queuing that up before <laughs> I even got the name out. By the way. You got to watch this on. As TV. soon as you said my guy, I knew my guy. Listen, I mean, so obviously the course history is great. When he had that stretch where he was really, really good, where he wasn't really good was off the tee. So that gets hugely mitigated here. And so obviously he hasn't been good. The putter's been basically average lately. Around the green and approach have been pretty bad, uh, particularly by his standards. But again, if you minimize that off the tee uh, metric, which you should in this particular tournament, if he can recapture some of the putting and some of the approach game, then you're getting a guy who, by the way, last July and June – Finished T5, T4, and T8. So mm. I think he's got it. I think I don't know what happened after that withdrawal and then the the back to back to back to back missed cuts. But I'm just saying I'm going to take one more last shot at Hank Lebiota because I think this might be the course for him. 
One more go around with Hammer and Hank for Sia. Um, certainly, Russell Knox is going to be popular. Um, Neesmith, I do think, is interesting. I think that's an interesting situation. Mark Hubbard, who we talked about a little bit before. Mark Hubbard. Mark Hubbard. Seven consecutive events making the cut on the PGA Tour. That is the third longest active streak in this field behind... Why did I set this up like this? Bezadenhout and uh, somebody else. I'll have to look it up. But it's the third longest streak in this field. Uh, very much an accurate, not long hitter of the golf ball. Certainly don't mind Mark Hubbard. Greg Ducharme, when you start to pick out and snatch guys out of this range, who ends up in your hands? Um, well, you put um, clicking on Jason Duffner, you put hard eyes in my eyes. <laughs> and that That is very attractive. And I think uh, a sneaky play. But... I want to give you somebody. I also love Russell Knox, uh, and and the Hubbard thing is interesting. Neesmith, the one guy I just can't seem to figure him out. So yeah, I, I, this is likely the mistake of all mistakes we make in in DFS. I feel like he lets me down, and so I let him go, and then he does fine, and then I he draws me back in, and then he lets me down. So I'm just uh, um, Neesmith and I are on the wrong cadence. So I'm I'm gonna take a little bit of time off from him until I forget about that. The one guy I'm going to add to this list is it may come as a shock, uh, but David Hearn. Now, David Hearn is a player. He's down at 7,100. Could be a valuable, um, uh, it could be a valuable space in your lineup. He has two T eight finishes here in, in his previous two starts. And again, this is just simply a fingerprint play. One, you have course history. Two, why do you have that course history? Well, he hit last year on tour 70% of his fairways, 69.96 to be exact. That was eighth on the PGA Tour. He was 58th in strokes game putting. And in the past, even before that, he's been a, he's been a better putter. So David Hearn's strength is his putting. And, um, and, and I, I think it could be, well, I mean, maybe this is a long time ago when his strength was his putting, but it seems to be back much closer to where it used to be. So again, leaning on two things and two things alone. I understand you're going to see a lot of red when you look at his um, when you look at his metrics on RickRunGood.com, but you are going to see a guy who hits a ton of fairways, makes a lot of putts, and has had success here. And I believe that's the reason why. Mm. Before we get on down to the $6,000 range, Sia, um, are we just going to overlook the guy whose average finish here is two? Brian Gay, a victory and a third place finish in the two editions. I mean, I know it's been bad recently. He's missed one, two, three, four, five of his last six cuts. Hasn't played particularly well since his victory, but I would argue... And listen, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Brian Gay is going to make it into my lineups this week. But I would argue if there was ever a a course to throw out form and look more at fit and history, this would be that spot, would it not? Uh, which is why I'm playing Kramer Hickok probably okay. over over Brian Gay. Okay. So and, and so I understand the argument, and I'm going to be leaning on course history to a very large degree here, just because that's just something. Uh, I choose to do at this Bermuda championship, but um, yeah, Brian Gay is fine. I, I do like Gramer Hickok. And, and by the way, I, I forgot to mention Bo Hogue. I like Bo Hogue a lot as well. Hickok. I wanted to pull up Hickok because he was someone. So I have this little tool and we never talk about this. Um, this one right here, it's called breakout candidates, which all it does is say, 
who's hitting the ball well now. And if everybody gets back to their own putting baseline, some guys are good putters, some guys are bad putters. If everybody gets back to their baseline, who's due for a good week? Uh, there's like five names that stand out this week. David Lipsky, Mito Pereira, Mark Hubbard, Dylan Wu, Kramer Hickok was the other one. Uh, and I know he's had a couple of good events or a couple of good years here, 15th and an eighth. So that's someone that I also had a circle next to his name. Okay. $6,000 range. Yeah, please. Before, I think this is a good um, and important thing to throw in before the $6,000 range. Um, when you look at a guy like Brian Gay and you look at his form and how bad it's been, Rick and, and see, you said I'm leaning on course history here. Brian Gay's game is stressed by most PGA tour courses, like few others. Correct. And when, when you hit the ball, when, when you average off the tee 287, I mean, uh, in, in 2022, he is 240th on the PGA tour in driving distance last year. He was 178th. Okay. Well, you hit the ball, those distances on these setups on the PGA tour, the PGA tour setup stress, Phil Mickelson's game. It is really high level, really challenging golf. And it doesn't necessarily mean that he's swinging poorly, but you're, you're playing out of your shoes. Go play the course you normally play. You play your best scores and go to the very back tees. And I think you'll find that your accuracy off the tee declines a little bit. Your tempo declines a little bit. Things change because your game is stressed. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when Brian Gay comes here, and I think David Hearn's in a similar position, they feel, and some other players as well, but it, it's a breath of fresh air. You feel like you're finally at a place you can compete and it's time for it's time to to put your game face on and show up. So I, I do think Brian Gay is overlooked. Um, I overlooked him myself, but there's a very clear reason why some of these guys have a nice course history here. Mm. It's very interesting and it's a good and it's uh, I, I think it's valuable and worth noting, especially for this week. The six thousand dollar range. See, if you like darts, start throwing them, baby. These are. Uh, I don't know how far down you really want to go. There's obviously some weeks where we can dip down to the mid price or 6,100, but um, there are some guys that are definitely not going to compete in this event. Yeah, which is why I probably stop at 6,600, and that's really pushing it. And when I say 6,600, I'm talking about JJ Spawn, and, and I truly think that's pushing it. Chase Seifert, I think, makes some sense too. Um, you know, he's made one cut here, missed another. But the metrics aren't really terrible for Chase Seifert. Two other guys I'm going to mention. Um, let's see. Cam Percy, obviously a pretty good course fit. And speaking of guys who, like um, Greg was talking about, guys that they come here and it's a breath of fresh air, Luke Donald. I mean, he's kind of a nice course fit. And honestly, the game and the metrics look pretty good on approach putting. Um, if, if he's good in those two departments, uh, he should be just fine here. He made the cut here last year, finished 40th. Former number one player in the world, right? For like two weeks. Wasn't he the number one player in the world, Greg? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yes. Not long, but he was definitely number one player in the world at one point. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> the bottom of this range. So I, I think my lowest is probably Dylan Wu. He's $6,500. He was on that breakout candidates tool that I showed. Kind of trying to get his sea legs on the PGA Tour. He won on the Corn Ferry towards the end of last season. Maybe this is a decent spot for him. Greg, when you try to find value, because we want to be up in that 10K range. If we want to be up in that 10K range, we're going to be forced down to the sevens, maybe even into the sixes. Who are we snagging here? Well, we're holding our breath. 
because Sia said something that really um, it really shakes you up, and it almost pushes me off of Matt Fitzpatrick a little bit, who I I think is going to have a very good week. Um, but the lower you go here, the higher your miscut probabilities go. And if you need six out of six, jamming in a lot of these guys with great course history in the seven K range, I think is a great strategy. That being said, uh, I'm going to take a couple of risks here. So one, one risk that I would take in this range is Austin cook. Um, Austin cook had at the Fortinet an 11th place finish an 11th place finish also at the corn Ferry tour championship. And another guy who in some weeks can putt really nicely. Uh, you do see a lot of red there. You see a lot of inconsistency. Again, strokes gain approach has been a big bugaboo for him, as you can see there on YouTube. But I value strokes gain approach as low as I will at any other event on the PGA Tour here this week. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm taking a, a little bit of a chance on that. I think it's another good opportunity for him to pop up. And there aren't very many other names that you guys haven't already mentioned that I like in this range. Um, one name popped up that's even below the 6,500 range. When I was looking on your, your cheat sheet there, Rick, um, Curtis Thompson's name popped up a couple times. And I don't really have much to say about it other than i saw the name and if i see him on top of the leaderboard i'm gonna say see i knew it so um that's kind of where we are here and again i go back to this strategy you there's so much value in the lower 7k range guys that are just as safe as guys in the 8k range um and maybe even in the 9k range so i i, I really like see a strategy of hanging in that lower seven thousand dollar range to try to make up and and create some opportunity to avoid this 6k range because if you need six out of six you're taking some you're taking some blindfolded hair hail marys here a couple of housekeeping items uh there's a great question in the chat joe elwell asked what brian gay was priced at when he won this last year which i think is a very good question i looked it up he was sixty three hundred dollars see ya he was one point eight percent owned uh that'll do the trick yeah that that'll work can we can we find that guy this week i don't know if it exists but that's that's the answer 6300 1.8 percent well i guess uh fabian gomez is winning this thing oh there you go fabian gomez week also uh luke donald spent 40 weeks no more than that 50 56 weeks atop the world number one rankings i like apologize I apologize for the disrespect. Uh, four different stints. First in 2011, May of 2011 to March 2022. Then again in March or, or March 2012. Then two weeks later, again in March. Then a month later. Then a month later. Yeah. So basically Boy. all within. Yeah. Exactly. Impressive. All right. Real quick. I just yes. got to say, if Fabian Gomez does win, then <laughs> I think just like we have on the early edge, the Van Jefferson Memorial first touchdown prop. Uh, we will have to have the Fabian Gomez Memorial uh, 6K player to win a tournament. And I will, I will make you guys each come with one 6K player who will win the tournament this week. And you have to get make the case. Do you like it? I That's like strong. it. All right. We're, we're now fans of Fabian Gomez finished seventh here two years ago. All right, gentlemen. I think that'll do it. Um, let me thank producer Jacob does all the hard work behind the scenes. 
That right there, Sia Najad. Follow him on Twitter at Sia Najad. Greg Ducharme. You can find him at The Real GFD, and you can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been the first cut, and we'll catch you next time. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.